Today's message is entitled, Adventures in Missing the Point. Adventures in Missing the Point. Because I got a feeling at Christmas time, there's so often we just miss the point. If you're watching TV at all, if you are getting email at all, if you are on Facebook at all, if you're on Twitter at all, you see people all over the place missing the point. Because the point is how much I can save on a Buick this year at Christmas about all the diamonds I'm supposed to be buying my wife for Christmas. And I've learned that if I did that, I would be killed. Okay? Because that is not in the budget. (laughs) Uh, But we're missing the point. We miss the point because we make it about gifts. We make it about even parties. We make it about the crazy food that we see on our our stream on, on Facebook that we never actually shows up the way in which they did it. All right? We make it about all these other things. We make it about obligations. We make it about ourselves. We make it about our family. And those are all missing the point. It's about the coming of the Savior of the world. It's about the course of history going one way, God intervening, and it going the other way. That is what Christmas is about. That's why we sing songs. That's why we decorate our houses, because of the hope and the joy of history being changed and turned and altered. And so if we get caught up into the extravagant other stuff, we need to bring our brains back. We need to bring our hearts back. We need to bring our souls back to what is the real reason for this season? Are we missing the point? And I don't want to guilt you too much about missing the point because here's the deal. People have missed the point of Christmas since there was a thing called Christmas, since the very first Christmas. If you read the scripture in Luke or in Matthew, it's full of people who miss the point about what Christmas is about. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 2 to you right now, or not the whole thing, but a lot. Um, So this is familiar. It should be probably. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born, born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where's the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. And for out of you will come a ruler who will be my shepherd, uh, the shepherd of my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star in which they had seen rose and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. It's a great question, what gold, frankincense, and myrrh are. Frankincense is like incense. It's something that you would, uh, it's a perfume. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that you would burn and make a dead bodies smell better. And myrrh is something that you would in, entomb, I think, uh, bodies with at the end. So kind of really good things. You know, if Kelly has a shower for the baby, I'm expecting some, some burial incense for the child. <laughs> right? 
You know that no women were consulted when buying gifts for baby Jesus. Let's uh, get him some myrrh. Right? So that's, that's what happened. That's what gold, and gold is money. So there we go. Um, how do we miss the point? We're worried about our obligations. Just like these guys get worried about, and the people in the scripture get worried about their obligations, we miss the point of Christmas when we get worried about our obligation. Christmas obligations will make us do stupid, stupid things. How many of us have been caught in a snowstorm because we had to go to that party? Because we had to do that. Husbands, do not raise your hands right now. Because I'm pretty sure it's probably an in-law thing that you're going to. (laughs) amen uh kelly and i's first christmas together we traveled to southern indiana from kalamazoo meeting my parents in kokomo for the family christmas party southern indiana is not equipped like the chicago area or even the kokomo area uh, to deal with snow it snowed 12 inches in about 12 hours we were in the car about 20 hours, I think, in a two-day time period to go to one Christmas party to eat about five sausage balls and a couple of chocolate chip cookies. For my family. That was my family. We won't talk about yours today, Pun. <laughs> <laughs> we, we only got one of those stories on that end. But anyway, um, <laughs> we don't let Kelly in here very often. Uh, We missed the, you know, we, we had to do it. We were obligated. We had to go to it. It was a good obligation. Love seeing my family at Christmas time. Just because it's an obligation doesn't make it a bad obligation, but you're obligated to do it, and you're willing to go to all kinds of crazy links to go there. And by the end of that time, we never wanted to see the inside of my dad's Explorer ever again. It was a nice test for our, our, our newlywedness. We miss the point because we're worried about obligations. The very first Christmas is all about obligations. If you read the the Luke account, the whole reason Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem is because of a family obligation. It's an obligation. They had to be there. And so the very first one is mired in obligations. What happens? How does this go about? Joseph goes to Mary and is like, "Hun, I know you're pregnant, whatever that is. I don't know how that feels. I mean, you know, whatever. Just suck it up, babe. Um, but we need to go to Bethlehem. And I know you're pregnant, like seven, eight months pregnant, but it's a big deal. We're going to go to Bethlehem. It's going to be great for you. You're going to meet my whole family, my whole line, my cousins. Uncle so-and-so, we're, we're going to meet everybody. You're going to go to Bethlehem with me. It's going to be great. How does that conversation go? I don't, I don't know. I'm making up the conversation, because, but as I was studying the scripture this Christmas season, I was thinking, how did he talk her into doing this? They're not married yet. He doesn't, I don't think she really has to do this yet. He must have been the best salesman ever. But it's an obligation because Joseph has to go there. He is obligated by the Roman government to go and pay his taxes, to be counted, to do a census. A census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Why do people take censuses? We take censuses today. All we have to do is fill out a form. Say, this is who I am. This is my demographic. This is how many kids are in my house. 
Great. And we're like, okay, that was painless. Put it in there. Except the government uses that to figure out how they're supposed to represent you with the House of Representatives and all that stuff, but also how to tax you better. This is, this is what it is. And it's always been that way. And that's what the Roman government's doing. And they're actually taking a census to go, you know what? There's a bunch of people that live there and we don't really know how many people there, but I'm sure we could get some more taxes out of them. And if we're going to get more taxes out of them, we got to figure out because if there's a lot of immigrants to a certain area, we need to put another legion there, another army there to control those people. And if we're going to have to put another army there, well, then we, they have to pay for it, so we've got to tax them more. So we need, you see how this works? This is what's, what's go, actually going on there with the census. They're not just getting letters in the mail like, oh, yay, I've got four kids, and da-da-da-da-da. Uh, that's not what's happening. They are, they're getting tallied so that they can be ruled better. So this is very interesting that Jesus is born into a census because two of the other most important people in the Scripture also are caught up in censuses. Moses takes a census because he's worried about the military might of the Israel people. He takes a census, and God gets very, 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 very angry with him. God doesn't like censuses. David does the same thing. He takes a census. I want to know how big of an army I can have. Let's, let's do this. And so he takes a census and, and does this, and God, what are you doing? Because God doesn't care about how, much, how many people, how many warriors, how many fighters he can have. He says, wait, wait, wait. It doesn't matter if you have five or 5,000 army guys. I'm fighting the battle for you. Knock it off. And so very, very directly, Jesus comes into a census, which is the extreme example of someone else controlling you, of a lordship issue being somewhere else. And as we think about that today, I just think that's, that's amazing. Another layer of, of why Jesus came when he did. That the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is born on the day of subjugation. It is born on tax day. The one who's going to overthrow the need for all of this is born on the very day in which all, the, all of the oppression is the realist. Does this make sense? This is, this is what's going on that day. We, get, we miss it because we worry about our obligations. And I think, I think about, go back to Joseph and Mary, go, and they walk into town, and this, this hit me this week in the office, is if this is where Joseph's house and line were, they should have had cousins, they should have had nephews, they should have had people in, a, you know, great-grandma, so-and-so, should have been there. He shows up with his, his fiance. None of them offer them a place to stay. None of them. So they go to the hotel, which probably doubled as a brothel. They can't even get into that place. So where do they find themselves? In a garage, in a barn, actually in a cave is what it would have been like. Which might have been a nice act of mercy on the innkeepers. (laughs) Hey, why don't you go out there? You don't want to be in here. But he goes out, they're going out into a cave. None of their relatives they can't even buy a place to stay, are, are, are taking them in. I don't know what that means for them. I don't know if that was um, because of the, the faux pas of having a pregnant, unmarried woman. I don't know why. But think about it. They walked all that way thinking there's going to be a place for them to stay there, and they are shunned out of all of it. See, there's obligations all over the place, and we have them. We have obligations on 
what Christmas party we're going to go to, what Christmas cards we're going to write. We have obligations on how we're going to make these gifts right and the cookies that we've got to bake this way and what's going to be on Christmas morning and what's going to happen on Christmas evening and what's going to happen on New Year's Eve. We have all these obligations that some of them are good and some of them we look forward to, but a lot of them kind of just drain us. And they take us away from the real reason for the season that Jesus comes to change the course of history. That the reason why we have Christmas trees, the reason why we give presents, the reason why we decorate everything is to celebrate not our family, not our children, not grandma. We do it all to celebrate the coming of Jesus. And sometimes our obligations get in the way of that, and then we miss the point. Don't let your obligations of this Christmas season steal the joy of the coming of Christ. Second way we miss the point at Christmas is we're worried about ourselves. We are worried about ourselves. Now, this is really easy when you're a child, right? What am I going to get? What have I asked for? I remember the Christmas story right now. I want a Red Rider pump action, you know, BB gun. Shoot your eye out, kid. Uh, But he was, the whole story is him worried about himself, right? And what does he do at the end? He shoots himself in the eye and it's hilarious, but... um, Coming to a TV near you, probably tonight now. They're like, oh, i got to watch Christmas Story now. TBS is having it on 24 hours straight, by the way. A little plug for them. But we get worried by ourselves, and the person in the Scripture that exemplifies this more than anyone else is Herod. Now, Herod is crazy. The Romans give him the title great because he builds a bunch of stuff. But Herod is nuts. Herod is so consumed with himself that he starts killing his relatives and his own children so that they can't come in on his power. He is consumed about himself. Herod misses this uh, this point so bad that he goes on a genocidal rampage, killing all the two-year-old boys and under in Bethlehem. Think about how deranged that is, that he has made this whole idea about himself and protecting what he has and who he is so much so that he just says, you know what? I got an idea. I don't want this Jesus guy getting loose because he's got this, the magi called him the king of the Jews. I'm the king of the Jews. I want that title. No one else can have it. We're going to kill all the two-year-old and under boys. Matthew 2 verse 16 not used to a monitor being behind me, Jimmy. Uh, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. Now, I don't know if anyone's going to kill their children to protect their Christmas presents, but this is what's going on, right? We do the same thing with, 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 when we make Christmas maybe about ourselves, is that we, we get so far into protecting our Christmas. We get so far in protecting our traditions. We get so far into protecting what we have that we miss the point. Our family has lasagna every Christmas Eve, or no, every Christmas, because it's very easy to cook it. You throw it in the oven and you're done. Well, it's very easy for me to cook. I've never cooked the lasagna. Um, But that's the whole idea. We're not going to cook on Christmas. We're going to enjoy the family that day. But if you ask... 
Well, now you, my wife has, has matured through this. But if you asked five years ago, could we have like tacos on Christmas? You better run. Right? Because we have lasagna on Christmas. That is the tradition. Because we get so, we, but you guys have the same. I'm picking on my wife a lot because she's got a lot of Christmas traditions, but uh, it's just part of the, the charm. <laughs> <laughs> but we, but we, have, we have these traditions, but, and you have them too. I know you do. I see the gleam in your eye when I talk about, well, that Christmas tradition. They're like, uh huh. And then you talk about the turkey or the ham has to be away or the fight over turkey and ham. Because if someone, if you are a turkey family and someone suggests ham, oh Lord. Right? And if you do the other, it's the same way. So you protect your Christmas. And we get so mad. I can't believe that Ashley wants turkey for Christmas. Does she know that's for Thanksgiving only? Is there some way we can get the Moors out of our Christmas? Right? And now we're so full. We're three steps removed from what Christmas is about because we made it about the turkey. And you do the same thing, whether it's about that party, about that gift, about who's bringing them whatever thing that no one ever actually wants to eat. We worry about ourselves at Christmas. We worry about the conversations we're going to have. We worry about the awkward conversations we have to have with so-and-so because they're around the dinner table. But what happens is we start this attitude of protecting ourselves and protecting our traditions and protecting who, how our perfect Christmas goes, that we start to lose sight of what Christmas is all about. We miss the point. If we fall into the trap of making Christmas about ourselves, even about our family and not Jesus, we risk causing death, a spiritual death of the ones around us. We have to lead well in this. Because just as Herod killed to keep Christmas the way he wanted it, we do the same thing when we make Christmas about us. And I'm serious about making coming to church next week a Christmas priority. Because if we say, oh, well, it's, it's going to be hard next Sunday morning. With, I got two seven-year-olds. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be a lot of excitement, right? There's going to be a lot of Pokemon cards opened. There's going to be a lot of all kinds of stuff going on that's just, I got to have it. A lot of sugar. But the idea is if we say, you know what? Church is going to be too much for us. What we've said is church is about the presence and about my kids instead of about Jesus Christ. And that's tough. There's going to be churches all over the country that close tomorrow, uh, next Sunday. And I'm not saying we're better than them. I wrestled with the same thing as we, we talked about as a staff and talked about elders. Are we going to have church on Christmas? And at some point, I just we have to. Because it's, it's a perfect example of saying, you know what? It would be more convenient, but more convenient when Christmas is about me. But that's like having a birthday party for Paul and not inviting Paul. We could still have a great party, but it's not kind of the point. So how do we get it? How do we do better how do we have the right attitude? Glad you asked. We prepare our hearts like the Magi. Prepare our hearts like the Magi. Their gifts are for the present and the future of us. As if we kind of replicate that in our heads, we get it. I'm not talking about the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. I'm talking about how they conduct themselves in this moment. 
What they give him is their humility. This is the first thing they give him. They give him their humility. They subjugate themselves to a commoner baby, probably in a house by the time they get there, but maybe in the stable still. They walk into a cave. Can you imagine these well-to-do? These guys are up in the government of the Babylonian uh, people and, and very well-respected, and they show up, and they're like, where's this kid? And Beth, what is happening? What are we do? There's a donkey. <laughs> Like, this conversation must have been, if you just look at your own nativity scene, right? What is happening here? You got people that are really, really well-to-do, and you've got shepherds, and you got you get the whole gamut of the political spectrum going on here, and you have these, these guys just walking in going, what is happening? But they give in their humility, and they say, you know what? I got to chase down. I'm going to go out of my way. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. These guys are not Jews. They don't have history with all of that. They have a, few, a little history with the prophet Daniel, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but they're not, they're not the ones supposed to be worshiping him. King Herod should have been on his knees in front of Jesus, not these guys from far away. They give him their humility, and you can too. Make sure Christmas has a time of reflection about who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. Maybe it's a Christmas Eve, you read the Christmas story together. And just think about this year, think about this time, think about what God has given you, how Jesus has redeemed you, how he has changed you in this past year. The second thing they do is, what they give him is their adoration. They adore him. They goo-goo and gaga all over him. They adore him. And I learned how to adore Jesus at Christmas time from my son. If you've ever seen a nativity that Bowen has set up, is everything, even the army men, is crowding in to look at Jesus. Like, if I do it, your wife does it, whatever, you do it, you've got the wise men in one spot, and you've got everyone evenly paced, uh, paced out, and you've got the beggar there. I don't know where the beggar came from, I don't see him in the scripture, but he makes like every nativity scene, right? The guy with like looks like loaves of bread. I don't really been asking this question for 30 years. I have no idea where he came from, but there he is. He's there, the shepherds, the sheep, the donkey, the camel, the cow. You know when a nativity scene is made in America when it's got a good like, you know, dairy cow in it. So you've got all these going on there, and they're all spread out, and you got the pretty nativity. That's when I do it. That's when you, when your wife does it, probably. Bowen. They are all in the stable. All heads pointed to, to Jesus. Because the idea is, he's the, they're here to see him. He doesn't care about spatial awareness. He doesn't care about symmetry. Jesus is the point. Amen. And so when we think about that, when we think about these guys, these, these wise men, we think about leading our families, we think about what we should be doing at Christmas, is it doesn't matter what else we get looking at. A Christmas tree or the wreath or the lights on the house or whatever it is, the point is Jesus. Have we adored him this Christmas season? Everything should be pointing towards Jesus. This is the last week before Christmas. It is next Sunday. You've got parties, you've got lists, you've got shopping lists, you've got things, you've got a billion things to wrap. This week can go by in a blur. Do not let it go by without adoring the one that it's about. 
Third thing that you can replicate is what they give him is their thought. And think about this. This is not a quick trip from probably Baghdad area of Iraq to the Jerusalem area. There is a huge desert in between them. And they are not taking an airplane. They are not taking a car. They are taking a camel. And so I imagine if it's like a trip like uh, I take, for the first 45 minutes, I am stoked. I am so excited on the next camel. Boom. We're going to go see Jesus. This is going to be awesome. You ready? Woo! Going to see a new king. Three weeks later, trying to see a baby. My back hurts. Stupid camel. You spit at me one more time. I'll tell you what. They're on these camels for months trying to get to see the baby Jesus. But everything they do had to be premeditated out. Think about it. They had to think about how are we going to have water? How are we going to have food? How are we going to have all the provisions? How are we going to, where are we going to stay? How are we going to do this so we don't die trying to get to Jesus? I don't know about you, but I haven't thought about how am I going to survive about Christmas without dying? But this is the thought processes through the whole thing is how am I going to orchestrate everything in my life? I'm going to remove myself from my job. I'm going to remove myself from my responsibilities because I got to get to this coming Messiah. It's amazing. And it's not that they've just been thinking about the trip. They've been thinking about him for 500 years. And I alluded to Daniel before. Daniel was a, was a, is a Hebrew who was captured in Israel and taken to Babylon and he had some amazing gifts that he could interpret dreams, and he kept on getting promoted in the empire. And one of, his, one of his roles was he was in charge of the Magi. He was head Magi dude. That's a great title right there, right? <laughs> so he is head Magi. And so he had been talking to these guys, and, and his thoughts and his prophecies had been written down, and he talked about the coming of the Messiah. And so these guys, studying, from 500 years of words earlier, said, we've got to be looking for the Magi. Now think about that. that this, is, this is not just everyday thought. They are looking for him. They're thinking about him. They're being very directed in it. Where is the king going to be born? In our own lives, in our own time, how are we directing our thoughts to the king is here? The king is being born. How do I direct my schedule around that? How do I direct my thought? How do I direct my family about that? This Christmas, let us look for him. Let us seek him with humility and let us give him our adoration. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today and thank you for this time together. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for the opportunity to praise him and worship him. Thank you, God, for Christmas. Lord, I ask you to be with us and guide us as we live this last week before Christmas out. That maybe we have fallen into the trap about making Christmas about ourselves. And God, that we have a week, we have another chance to make it about you and about the coming of your son. Lord, I thank you for this time of year. I thank you for this moment. I thank you for the excitement in my children. And God, as a, as a father and as a husband, let me lead well to directing them to the manger. That it's not about the gifts underneath the tree, it's about the child and the nativity set. And God, let that be a tactile experience. Let them feel it. 
Let them think about it. Let them own it. Let them know it. That this is about Jesus. That God loves them so much that he, he was not okay with the status quo. He was not okay with the way the world was going, but he would stop at nothing to enter into their problems, enter into their issues, enter into their world and say, I love you and I've got better for you. I have a better life for you. I have a better eternity for you. God, let that be our heart cry this Christmas. Lord, we love you and we praise your name. Amen.